Hello and welcome to Season 4 of Somerset Stories, the podcast which explores the lives of the people who live, work and create in Somerset. My name is Lewis Webb and each week I get to share the stories of some of the inspiring, creative and successful individuals and families that make this beautiful county their home. We're back for a new season with 14 fantastic guests lined up ready to share their lives and insights. Plus we've got a brand new game to play to test their Somerset knowledge to the limits. As ever, your comments, reviews and feedback are always appreciated. And if you'd like to send us a message, you can email hello at somersetstories.com. My guest this week is the founder of the Great British Quilter community, Sarah Ashford. From designing and making quilts for over 12 years, to writing for magazines and creating her own podcast, Sarah is a multi-talented creative with a knack for bringing people together over a love of sewing. Her own designs have seen her collaborate with well-known craft brands around the world and speak at national and international events. We met at Sarah's studio in Wellington, surrounded by patterns and colours. Sarah, welcome to Somerset Stories. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's great to do a podcast face-to-face. Thank it you is. for coming to visit me. It is fantastic to do a podcast face-to-face. We are in Wellington. What are your favourite local spots? So, uh, Wellington Monument is uh, quite famous. It's quite nice to go up there and uh, we've just got a puppy. So it's nice to go up there and uh, walk the dog. And they've just sort of finished renovating up there as well. So it's uh, that's a nice place to go. And there's another place called the Beacon, which we like to go to. Both places have got fantastic views of Wellington. So that's nice to get out in the countryside. And um, restaurant wise, I like to go to a little Italian restaurant called the Pump House. Um, the owners are Italian and they make the best pizzas. So we like to go there. And uh, there's another coffee shop that I like to go to called Brazier's and they do delicious coffee and lovely lunches. So you can find me there. Oh, I've of... heard of Brazier's. Oh, have do, you? Do they... Uh, do they do their own roasting as well? They do, yes. Yes. So quite often their coffee is in other restaurants Mm -hmm. and cafes as well. But uh, yeah, they've got their own own, um, little coffee shop in Tonedale, which is just sort of part of Wellington, not far from me. Yeah, it's a nice place to go. You were telling me just before we started recording that you didn't grow up in Somerset. No. Uh, You sort of moved around a little bit before getting here, didn't you? Yeah, I did. That's right. So I grew up in Kent, um, mostly Maidstone and then Medway. Um, I went to university in Norwich. Um, I then trained as a primary school teacher in Canterbury back in Kent. And then um, I relocated with my husband to Jersey and we lived there for five years. And then um, we returned to the UK and we stumbled upon Wellington, really. Uh, we, we hadn't even heard of it. It was one of those things that it just was meant to be and it all things, everything fell into place. And uh, we love it here. It's great. So what was family life like as a child over in Kent? So um, I guess I was always quite creative. I was sort of doing a bit of cross stitch and my mum taught me to knit and things like that. I had a happy childhood, lots of nice experiences. I was very lucky really. My parents took me to lots of different places in the country. We went on holiday every year. Um, It was, yeah, it was a lovely, it was a lovely upbringing. I had lots of friends, um, very happy. So was it your mum that inspired and taught you some of those early creative crafts and things? Yeah, definitely in the early years. And then um, at my school, when I was at sort of senior school, I did textiles. I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And at that time, it wasn't particularly fashionable to 
to do sewing and things. A lot of my friends were into sport and music and I just loved sewing and I have done ever since. So um, yeah, so I learned a lot from my teacher at school and I had a, um, one of my very dear friends, her mum was into quilting and I used to go to her house and see these wonderful quilts that she made and I thought, oh, one day I'm gonna do that. I'm, I want to make quilts like that. I just knew that's what I wanted to do. And I didn't do it for quite some years afterwards, but it was that was my first kind of exposure to, to quilts really, because back in those days, social media didn't exist. So uh, I could see all of the creativity at my friend's house, her mum making these beautiful quilts and I thought, yeah, I want to do that. Was that creativity something that maybe came through in a typical school report? Uh, well, I, the other thing, my other love, which I think is something that I do a lot of now, is writing. I always loved English and literature and reading, and so that was a, a passion of mine. And so I guess that the creative side, you know, I love poems and reading poems, writing poetry as well. Um, so I think I am a creative person. And so now I've come to a place in my life where I'm combining both. I am quilting, but actually more than anything, I'm writing at the moment and writing for magazines, creating podcasts, social media, doing a lot of content. So I'm writing in a creative way as much as I am with the actual sewing and the quilting. Do you think growing up you were inspired by the act of creating or for you was it more about the end product and having the satisfaction of having made something? Oh, it's definitely about the process. I think having something finished is, is a really happy outcome, but for me and I think for so many creatives it is about that journey. When I was younger I did lots of cross stitch and that's quite a slow craft, it takes quite a long time, but I just used to like stitching and doing it. And even now I like hand quilting and embroidery and you know it's very slow, it's not that instant gratification, but it's just that, that process, it's really calming and relaxing and, and just so enjoyable to do. You talked about your friends being a little bit more into things like sport and music, does that mean that you were kind of labelled the craft one did you hand make birthday presents and stuff like that for your friends uh yes i guess so i think at the time i felt like you know i wasn't into sport in and i just i just couldn't pretend to be into something that i wasn't interested in and i was just very sort of clear that i knew what i liked i liked making things i liked writing i loved reading and so i guess i I did feel a bit different to my friends, but it didn't matter at the end of the day. You know, we all just got on and had, had a really happy time. When it came to further education and university, you mentioned before that you studied to, to be a teacher. Yes. So that, you know, maybe sort of seen as an avenue that was a little bit more conventional than taking up craft professionally. I suppose at the time, as you say earlier, there, there wasn't really as much of a, a movement in craft and, and therefore, is that what pushed you towards, well, actually, I, I need to do something that is a job and not just a hobby? Uh, yes, I guess so. I mean, I think, like you say, there's kind of ex certain expectations on you um, to sort of leave school and sort of go to university certainly for me and the school that I went to and originally my degree was in psychosocial studies because I am interested in people and behaviour 
and um, so I did that and then I thought actually I do love to teach and I still do now and so I did train as a primary school teacher and I love children as well um, and I thought it would be a good opportunity to sort of be creative and teach in creative ways to children so it was something that I enjoyed but I don't think back then with the internet and social media being what it is now we just I don't think I knew of the possibilities that craft could could bring and actually since I've got into quilting full-time I've had so many wonderful opportunities and I've traveled I've been to America lots of times been to Australia and you know other places in the country I go up to Scotland every year normally and I've met so many wonderful people and I teach and so many opportunities have come my way that I could never have possibly imagined back then at that stage when you were teaching, was was your sewing and craft work, did that have to take a back seat? I think for me that was the thing that it did actually break my heart because I was so busy with my day job and um, when my children were young as well, everyone knows that's a lot of work, takes up a lot of time and then I, I had hardly any time left at all for sewing for, for fun and I just felt like that was, I was losing a part of myself because that's what I love the most. I love creating and I love sewing and I love reading and I love writing and all of a sudden all of those things had to take a back seat and I was losing a part of myself and that made me feel really sad actually. So, so yeah, so that's why in a way now I feel like I'm living my authentic life and I'm being who I'm meant to be and I still do get to teach and I get to teach um, adults and women and I've been into prisons and I've taught um, inmates and I've helped them gain confidence and a sense of achievement and all of those things that I want to do as a teacher but it's just in a different setting. Was there a moment then when you kind of realised actually this whole big part of my identity, the, the time I've spent in creating and sort of all of that that work and that effort you know that's a big part of, of who I am and it's as you say it's not something that is getting the light of day right now was there a sort of point of realization for you where you just thought actually I really need to find a way of bringing this back into my life yeah definitely so when I was teaching most recently in a school I had been approached by um, a magazine to design some um, a quilt for their publication and I thought, actually, you know, this, I want to do more of this. And I had friends who were doing the quilting full time. And I just was, like I say, was hardly finding time to pick up a needle and thread, let alone anything like that. So there was this transition where I was doing a bit of both, but that wasn't really sustainable. I couldn't carry on doing the magazine work and working full time as a teacher. And so I thought, actually, yeah, I've got to sort of follow my dreams. And I was very lucky that my family were supportive in that and in a way I think they were glad because the the full-time teaching in school was taking my time away from the family as well and now um, I'm, I'm self-employed and I have a, a lot more time for the family I can manage my time a bit more and give them more of my time and do what I love as well so it's actually worked out for our family as well really really brilliantly. Was there a, a balance and a sort of difficulty around for some people, they want to do what they love because they love it. And as soon as you involve the commercial side, it becomes 
more of a okay well it's something I have to do yes did you go through that experience um sometimes I do have that experience if there's deadlines and quite often in publishing there are so something has to be done by a certain time and so you're kind of sewing for speed and as fast as you can and so sometimes that takes the enjoyment out of it but ultimately I do still love it and I think that I'm so lucky that I can sort of live here I've got a lovely studio in my house where I can work and I am doing what I love and it's a real privilege and when I was teaching full-time I had moved to Wellington I've got this lovely studio and I wasn't spending any time in it at all and that made me very sad and so actually I will always feel grateful now for the opportunities that I get in quilting even though sometimes they can be pressured it's um yeah it's 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 a good life I've got I'm very lucky I know your passion for sewing has created lots of different types of projects why then have quilts become the thing that you focused on I think I just love everything about quilting really. I love the design elements, I love the fabric, I love the colours and from very early on, sort of well over sort of 12 years ago now, I decided I wanted to go all in with quilting and learn as much as I could specifically about quilting. I don't know why, I think perhaps it is because I'd seen my friend's mum make such beautiful quilts in the past. Um, but I've literally committed every day of my life since about 12 years ago to, to learning about quilting. And one of the lovely things that's happened because of it is I've made friends all over the world who are quilters who love the same things as me. So I feel like I'm part of this global quilting community and social media is hugely integral to that. I mean, Instagram and um, Facebook groups, but prior to that um, blogging, I had a quilting blog for many years and that's how I met lots of quilters. And um, moving on, following on from the blogs, there were real life retreats. In London, I went to a retreat and met people from all over the country. And then I've traveled since. So I feel like I'm part of this global network, which is just so fantastic. And there's just so much to learn. There's so much to learn about quilting in different cultures, different skills, different techniques and ways of doing things. And there will never be, there will always be something new to learn, you know, that, you know, however experienced you are, there will always be a new technique to learn that you've not done before. So I know little to nothing about <laughs> this subject. So can you enlighten me uh, in a few areas? Firstly, the history of quilting, I suppose. Where did it originate and how has it evolved? Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, that's a very big question. So I think there's evidence of quilting and applique, which is where you apply a design to a fabric back in sort of ancient Egyptian times. Um, it's, it goes back a very long way. So um, I, I couldn't tell you the full history of quilting, but um, it's been around for a very long time. And, you know, it has been done. Um, people made quilts for utilitarian purposes to keep warm. 
and um, just to explain what a quilt is, um, because not everybody knows and I can't assume that they do, but basically it is usually a patchwork, which is fabric that has been cut up and then sewn back together. It sounds a bit crazy, but that's what we do. We cut it up, put it into pretty patterns, sew it back together. That's the top, that's the patchwork top. And then you have either a wadding or a batting, which is like the filling that goes in the middle, which kind of gives it that puffiness or loftiness, as we say in quilting. And then you have a quilt back, which is the other side of the quilt. And that's usually either a whole cloth or it will be sort of pieced together with bigger pieces. And then the act, so that's the, that's the structure of the quilt and then it's held together with the quilting stitches and normally that's decorative in design and it can be done on the machine or it can be done by hand and then um, to hold it all together you have what's called the binding which goes around the edge of the quilt so that's what a quilt is um, so um, yeah i've actually forgotten what the question was now <laughs> i've gone off on a big tangent no, about that, quilts but that's very, that's i didn't know any of that have there been highs and lows in terms of the popularity of, of quilting? Of quilting. Uh, definitely. I think it's definitely come into fashion and then gone sort of back out of fashion again. Is there and... like a golden age of quilting? Mm, there probably is. I wouldn't like to say when that was specifically, but it, you know, quilting has been around for a long time. And I would say now, people might not realize it, but there is such a thriving modern quilting community globally across the world. Um, and social media is integral to that. Um, there's a, um, a, it's called the, the Modern Quilt Guild. So the Modern Quilt Guild was founded in LA, LA um, I think it was 2011. And um, they have an event every year called QuiltCon, which is like a big quilt show and it happens in America and it's in a different state in America each year. And um, so I've been for the last three years, which is fantastic. Um, but they also, so what happens is people set up almost like franchises, guilds around the world. And so when I moved to Somerset, I looked to see if there was um, a modern quilt guild here in Somerset. Um, I'd lived in Jersey before and um, a lady I know had set up the Jersey Modern Quilt Guild and I was a part of that. And when I moved to Somerset, there wasn't a Modern Quilt Guild here. So I actually set up the Southwest Modern Quilt Guild and we have people from all over the Southwest. People come from Devon, we've had people from Cornwall, Bristol, Dorset, and they come every um, month to meet up and just to sew together. So although there's many people who haven't sort of heard of heard of this, it's actually a really thriving global community. They're, these franchises of um, modern quilt guilds are all over the world and the guilds have connections with each other. So we might do a quilt swap with, um, you know, a guild in Australia or in America or in India there or Edinburgh. My friend runs the Edinburgh Modern Quilt Guild. They're, they're all over the world. And so actually modern quilting is is really thriving and having a moment right now and I think that people's perceptions of what a quilt is 
are possibly not what the modern quilt guild is all about. They're quite often the, art, the quilts are almost like art quilts. There's a lot of negative space. They're like pieces of work. They're not necessarily pieces that go on your bed. Um, it's just incredible. There's just It's like textile art. It's absolutely fantastic. And I think that it's a community that's really thriving and going from strength to strength. And that's thanks to social media and us connecting together. Um, and I think with lockdown, um, it has forced people to go online and connect with each other. And it's had to, um, teachers of quilting have had to sort of really innovate and take their learning online, which means that we can take a class with somebody in Australia or we can take a class with an expert in America that we would never potentially have had the opportunity to go to America and take a class with them. So all of a sudden you've got people all over the world learning all these new skills from people that they would never otherwise have had the opportunity to do so. Yeah. So that's actually really exciting. Aside from the the actual kind of end product, you mentioned the community element of it, but what do you think people love about the, the act of making a quilt? I think it's being creative, having that opportunity to be creative, having the opportunity to slow down and get immersed in a project. And it does bring people together and people love quilting together and alongside each other as well and learning from each other, learning new skills, making new friends and being with like-minded people. So I think that it's so much more than just making a quilt. It really is, it's just such a lovely thing to do. I think it's a really important for mental health, having that opportunity to take some time to be creative, do something for yourself and, and have a finished product at the end of it as well is really satisfying and rewarding. And if you've met like-minded people and you're doing that alongside them and then you're sort of chatting and making friends, and um, yeah, so I just I just advocate craft in general as well as quilting specifically to really to really help with sort of you know self esteem and confidence and making friends. So there's so many benefits. I just think it's brilliant. Let's take a step back because I want to talk about the process for you. So, what's your starting point for a design? It's a tricky question. Sometimes I will have. I will find inspiration when I'm out and about. So my camera phone is, um, you know, really handy to have with me all the time because I can take photos of things that inspire me. Might be a color palette that I like. Sometimes it's the colors that I know that I want to use in a project as the starting point. Sometimes it could be the design. Sometimes it might be a technique that I want to use that I've not used before. So um, I do a lot of what's called foundation paper piecing where you, um, you, you stitch onto paper and then you tear the paper away. So I like to design foundation paste designs and sometimes I'll have an idea for that. And then other times it will be a fabric collection that I want to use and I want to showcase or it could be, um, like I say, a technique that I want to use. Um, I might want to incorporate some embroidery. Maybe it's a traditional technique that I want to have a, have a go at. Um, and sometimes I quite like to take traditional quilt blocks and then put a modern spin on them as well to make them look more modern. So um, yeah, there's, there isn't one single answer to that question. <laughs> Being handmade and unique, that means no 
two quilts are the same yeah. you know, kind of worldwide. But what are the qualities or characteristics that are typical of your personal style? Well, I like bright colours, so I do tend to use a lot of colour in my work. Um, I definitely think that that's one of my signature st styles. Um, I like hearts, so I tend to put hearts on things uh, quite often, which is pretty fun. But I also don't want to pigeonhole myself and, and just be known for one thing because I like to try new things and I like to try different techniques and different styles. So I like to try and sort of be far reaching in what I do. And um, I work for various different publications. So that I also take that into consideration as well with colors and designs. Um, the Quilters Guild of the British Isles, I've recently done some work for them and that was designing a cushion based on um, one of the quilts that they have in the Guild collection. And so that was very different to something that I might do for the Modern Quilt Guild, for example. Um, but I really like having that ability to sort of have a play and sort of try different styles and different techniques. So overall, I would say it's my use of colour that sort of is my unique selling point, as it were. But I try not to be too pigeonholed in what I do. I'd like to talk a little bit about the great British quilter community. Yes. That, is that right? That, that is quilting? right, yes. So where did the idea for that come from? So it occurred to me that, uh, so this was back in 2017, it occurred to me that there wasn't enough championing of British quilters here. And that actually there's this thriving British quilting community. There's so much talent here. We have incredible designers, retailers, fabric companies, and, and quilters in this country. And I thought it would be really fun to, to start an Instagram challenge. It started as an Instagram challenge in September. So every day in September, I put a prompt and then people had to respond to the prompt. So like day one was introduction. So you'd put a photo of yourself and introduce yourself. Then day two, it'd be something like show us your sewing space and people would take a picture and share their sewing space. Anyway, to my surprise, hundreds of people joined in with this Instagram challenge and it really became a thing. And then each year I um, hosted the Instagram challenge with a different quilter, um, like a guest host as it were. And it was it was really, really popular. And not not only did quilters join in, but retailers and, and shops and designers were joining in. And it was it was a really brilliant way to see what was what was going on and celebrate quilting in this country. And it was always a bit sad when the challenge was over because that was kind of it for another year. And so then I thought, oh, I want to take this one step further. So I started the Great British Quilter podcast. So I'm the host and then a bit like you, I was going around the country talking to different people in the industry and season one, I had eight episodes and I talked to um, different designers and um, shop owners and all kinds of interesting people. And then I did the same for series two, but series two happened during lockdown. So sadly, it was all on Zoom, which was a shame, but at least it meant that it could still happen. Um, and then from there, I thought it would be um, a nice idea to have more of a, 
um, more of a presence with the Great British Quilter. So I created the Instagram account, so it's got its own Instagram account now. And it's not about me, it's about other British quilters and events and sort of fabric collections that are coming out that are British. Um, and there's also a Facebook group as well that I run for the Great British Quilter. And now there's also a website and um, where, where there are British products for sale. And most recently, the Festival of Quilts has just happened um, in August. And that was really exciting because it was the first event to happen since lockdown um, at the NEC in Birmingham. It's the biggest quilt show in Europe. And it's, um, it was the first event in the country to be back. So that was really exciting. And I organized the Great British Quilter um, Hope Mini Quilt Challenge. So people had to um, enter a 12 inch mini quilt and the idea was that it was to represent the theme of hope. And people from all around the world sent entries in, which just blew me away. So what happened, they were uploaded to a gallery and we had about 110 entries from across the world. And there was a panel of six judges and we, shortlist, we had, to sh had to shortlist them to 50. And then those 50 were sent to me and then they were exhibited at the Festival of Quilts. And then from there, our six judges chose one winner each. So that's where we're at at the moment. We've just chosen our winners and we had the most fantastic response to the exhibition at the festival because it was really quite moving and powerful. Mm -hmm. So the Great British Quilter has really taken on a life of its own and it's just been so much more, it's been so far reaching, um, so much further than just Britain. It's really sort of, obviously there's Brits who don't live here as well, but it's really sort of resonated with other people as well, which is fantastic. And although it's called Great British Quilter, I like to be inclusive and anybody can enter these things and join in the challenges. So now I am in the um, process of preparing for the Instagram challenge again for September and it used to be a month long and now um, due to other work commitments I, c I can only manage a week so we just we just run it for a week but there's prizes at the end and it's a great way for people to connect with, with each other and people tell me that they've made real life friends through the challenge which is just amazing to think that I've brought people together it's just fantastic. Before we were recording, you talked about like British identity in quilting and comparison to, I suppose, the, the popularity and the more, maybe the more well-known side of quilting being in the US, where there's a huge, huge movement around it. What would you say are the things that, that make the British approach or, or style or identity different to the, what's going on in the US? Oh, that's a tricky question as well. I think we are an eclectic mix and there isn't necessarily one one set style as in america so i, I don't really like to make comparisons it is it's very tricky um i think for me it was just about strengthening that community and celebrating what we have got here because i think we're not necessarily very good at championing ourselves very much we're we're you know we're always sort of trying to not have the attention and say oh we're amazing but actually we really are so um, that's what I'm trying to do is encourage everybody to celebrate what we do here but when it comes to saying what our particular style is I think that's quite tricky I think there's an eclectic mix which is which is really important and and great so so it's very hard to pinpoint exactly what a British style of quilt actually is. 
You mentioned your podcast, which has had to deal with, with lockdown, had to deal with doing things over Zoom, etc. Yes. What have you learned most from that experience of, of running it? Oh, the podcast has been fantastic. I think, I mean, Zoom has been necessary to allow the podcast to continue, but I think it's reinforced just how important human connection is face to face and the value of that over Zoom. It, it's definitely preferable. And I've just had so much fun meeting people face to face and it is easier to get to know people um, in person. Um, it has been a, a learning curve from the technical side of things. I mean, I taught all myself how to do all of it beginning to end and, you know, organized all of it. But I've just loved getting to know people's stories and learning about their backgrounds and where they've come from. And um, you must never assume anything about anybody, you know, and where they've come from. And quite often, you know, success doesn't come overnight and people have worked hard at things for years. And it's just so interesting to hear their stories and their own creativity and inspiration. So I've, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed um, that. I've done two series of the podcast now, eight um, episodes per series. And I've spoken to people up and down the country. Um, I had a very famous guest called Tracy Chevalier. She's an author. She wrote uh, um, a book called The Last Runaway, which features quilting. And then most recently, she's written a book called A Single Thread, which is about the um, broderers of Winchester Cathedral who make the cushions that are on the pews in the cathedral. And uh, that was fascinating talking to her because her um, experience as a writer has been quite different to, say, talking to a quilter or a retailer. So I've tried to get a broad spectrum of guests um, for my podcasts. And I think that it's been really well received, which is great. And then I've met people um, who tell me, oh, I love listening to your podcast while I'm working out or while I'm walking the dog or driving to work. And that just makes me really happy. So, you know, it is a, it is a lot of effort, but it's all worthwhile and people do appreciate it. I'd like to talk a little bit about the great British quilter community. Yes. Is that right? Or that is quilting? right, yes. So where did the idea for that come from? So it occurred to me that, uh, so this was back in 2017, it occurred to me that there wasn't enough championing of British quilters here. And that actually there's this thriving British quilting community. There's so much talent here. We have incredible designers, retailers, fabric companies, and and quilters in this country and I thought it would be really fun to, to start an Instagram challenge. It started as an Instagram challenge um, every, in September. So every day in September I put a prompt and then people had to respond to the prompt. So like day one was introduction, so you'd put a photo of yourself and introduce yourself. Then day two, it'd be something like, show us your sewing space and people would take a picture and share their sewing space. Anyway, to my surprise, hundreds of people joined in with this Instagram challenge and it really became a thing. And then each year I um, hosted the Instagram challenge with a different quilter, um, like a guest host as it were. 
and it was it was really really popular and not not only did quilters join in but retailers and and shops and designers were joining in and it was it was a really brilliant way to see what was what was going on and celebrate quilting in this country and it was always a bit sad when the challenge was over because that was kind of it for another year and so then I thought, oh, I want to take this one step further. So I started the Great British Quilter podcast. So I'm the host. And then a bit like you, I was going around the country talking to different people in the industry. And season one, I had eight episodes and I talked to um, different designers and um, shop owners and all kinds of interesting people. And then I did the same for series two, but series two happened during lockdown. So sadly, it was all on Zoom, which was a shame, but at least it meant that it could still happen. Um, and then from there, I thought it would be um, a nice idea to have more of a um, more of a presence with the Great British Quilter. So I created the Instagram account. So it's got its own Instagram account now. And it's not about me, it's about other British quilters and events and sort of fabric collections that are coming out that are British. Um, and there's also a Facebook group as well that I run for the Great British Quilter. And now there's also a website and um, where, where there are British products for sale. And most recently, the Festival of Quilts has just happened um, in August. And that was really exciting because it was the first event to happen since lockdown um, at the NEC in Birmingham. It's the biggest quilt show in Europe. And it's um, it was the first event in the country to be back. So that was really exciting. And I organised the Great British Quilter um, Hope Mini Quilt Challenge. So people had to um, enter a 12-inch mini quilt and the idea was that it was to represent the theme of hope and people from all around the world sent entries in which just blew me away so what happened they were uploaded to a gallery and we had about 110 entries from across the world and there was a panel of six judges and we shortlist we had to sh had to shortlist them to 50 and then those 50 were sent to me and then they were exhibited at the Festival of Quilts. And then from there, our six judges chose one winner each. So that's where we're at at the moment. We've just chosen our winners and we had the most fantastic response to the exhibition at the festival because it was really quite moving and powerful. Mm -hmm. So the Great British Quilter has really taken on a life of its own and it's just been so much more, it's been so far reaching. Um, so much further than just Britain it's really sort of obviously there's Brits who don't live here as well but it's really sort of resonated with other people as well which is fantastic and although it's called Great British Quilter I like to be inclusive and anybody can enter these things and join in the challenges so now I am in the um, process of preparing for the Instagram challenge again for September and it used to be a month long and now um, due to other work commitments I, c I can only manage a week so we just we just run it for a week but there's prizes at the end and it's a great way for people to connect with, with each other and people tell me that they've made real life friends through the challenge which is just amazing to think that I've brought people together it's just fantastic. Before we were recording you talked about that British identity in quilting and comparison to I suppose the the popularity and the more maybe the more well-known side of quilting being in the US where there's a huge huge movement around it what would you say are the things that that make 
the British approach or, or style or identity different to what's going on in the US? Oh, that's a tricky question as well. I think we are an eclectic mix and there isn't necessarily one one set style as in America. So I, I don't really like to make comparisons. It is, it's very tricky. Um, I think for me, it was just about strengthening that community and celebrating what we have got here, because I think we're not necessarily very good at championing ourselves very much. We're, we're, you know, we're always sort of trying to not have the attention and say, oh, we're amazing, but actually we really are. So um, that's what I'm trying to do is encourage everybody to celebrate what we do here. But when it comes to saying what our particular style is, I think that's quite tricky. I think there's an eclectic mix, which is which is really important and, and great. So, so it's very hard to pinpoint exactly what a British style of quilt actually is. You mentioned your podcast, which has had to deal with, with lockdown, had to deal with doing things over Zoom, etc. Yes. What have you learned most from that experience of, of running it? Oh, the podcast has been fantastic. I think, I mean, Zoom has been necessary to allow the podcast to continue, but I think it's reinforced just how important human connection is face-to-face -face and the value of that over Zoom. It, it's definitely preferable and I've just had so much fun meeting people face-to-face -face and it is easier to get to know people um, in person. Um, it has been a, a learning curve from the technical side of things. I mean, I taught all myself how to do all of it beginning to end and, you know, organized all of it. But I've just loved getting to know people's stories and learning about their backgrounds and where they've come from. And um, you must never assume anything about anybody, you know, and where they've come from. And quite often, you know, success doesn't come overnight and people have worked hard at things for years. And it's just so interesting to hear their stories and their own creativity and inspiration. So I've, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed um, that. I've done two series of the podcast now, eight um, episodes per series. And I've spoken to people up and down the country. Um, I had a very famous guest called Tracy Chevalier. She's an author. She wrote uh, um, a book called The Last Runaway, which features quilting. And then most recently, she's written a book called A Single Thread, which is about the um, broderers of Winchester Cathedral who make the cushions that are on the pews in the cathedral. And uh, that was fascinating talking to her because her um, experience as a writer has been quite different to, say, talking to a quilter or a retailer. So I've tried to get a broad spectrum of guests um, for my podcasts. And I think that it's been really well received, which is great. And then I've met people um, who tell me, oh, I love listening to your podcast while I'm working out or while I'm walking the dog or driving to work. And that just makes me really happy. So, you know, it is a, it is a lot of effort, but it's all worthwhile and people do appreciate it. What do you think has been the impact of the last 18 months on the quilting community? Do you think more people have become interested with you know more more time at home, more need to, to be doing things with their with their hands and being crafty? I think for some people it's literally been a lifesaver because it's given them focus and it's given them calm and it's given them that continuity when everything around us has been in chaos it's been that that calming that people need and like i was saying before it has brought 
people together and provided more opportunities through Zoom. Um, for example, the Modern Quilt Guild, they run this event called QuiltCon that I was talking about. And last year, it had to be an online event and they had four days where they put on um, a series of workshops and talks and lectures and Q&As and they had um, sort of online shopping and all kinds. They did as much as they could to replicate the, the in-person show and suddenly all these people who aren't able to travel to America were able to participate and really get a flavour of what QuiltCon and the Modern Quilt Guild is all about and it sort of opened up doors for people and I think that is the advantage of Zoom, it's opening up doors for people learning and connecting with others across the world and although we could do that pre-lockdown we, we kind of didn't and now we are and I think moving forward, we're in this position where we can have a hybrid of learning face to face when we can and connecting with people in real life where we can. But where we can't, we have got Zoom and we have got online, which is the next best thing. So, yeah, I think overall it's a, it has been really, you know, a, a good way for people to connect. And I think the actual act of sewing has been really sort of cathartic and comforting to people during this difficult time. Your most recent achievement is writing a book. Yeah. Which is very much aimed at the beginners. That's right. Out there. What can you tell me about that? So I was asked to write this book because the publishers um, had this realisation that everyone had rushed out to buy sewing machines to make masks and scrubs and things like that um, to, to help out in the community. And so we thought, well, now we can show people creative and fun things to make on the sewing machine as well as all of those things. So um, it's aimed at beginners, like you say, and it's a very much a progressive book so you so it starts off very simple it's just a simple patchwork cushion to start with and then each project it's got six projects in the book each project you learn another skill and then it ends with a sampler quilt so a sampler quilt is one that features lots of different techniques and quilt blocks in this case so you're really sort of learning as you go and building on the skills as you progress through the book and then it culminates in this sampler quilt. So I have done my very best to impart as much knowledge as I can about quilting into this book and I want to share my passion for quilting with as many people as possible and so through this book I can do that because I can't physically teach everybody so this is a really great way I hope to get people into quilting and to share my passion. And what's next for you? What do you have planned for the next sort of year or so? Well, I think we're returning to in-person teaching a lot more now. I did teach for um, a day and a half at the Festival of Quilts and I just was reminded how much I love being with people. And so I'm, I've got a lot more teaching booked in around the country so far, which I'm really excited about. Um, being traveling again which is something that I love to do and I do hope to get to more museums and um, get more inspiration from there as well so definitely more teaching I would like to keep on with new patterns and adding to my digital pattern collection that's on my website and um, carry on sort of writing 
and um, I do actually have a second book coming out which is in uh, November and that's called Rotary Cutting Basics and again that's aimed at the beginner quilter and it's it's not a project book it's all about techniques and tools that you need for quilting so I'm excited about that coming out as well and then maybe next year I will look to do the Great British Quilter podcast again as well. I've got some people that uh, I would like to chat to more. So, um, yeah, I think I'm going to do that again as well. Sarah, we're now going to play Somerset Who's Who, which is the game where you have to guess the profession or reason for being famous of various people in Somerset. Or okay. from Somerset. Okay. So what's, hap what's going to happen, um, I'm going to give you a name and then I'm going to give you two descriptions of that person. One of them is true yeah. and one of them is entirely made up. Okay. Uh, and you have to tell me which one you think is true and, uh, and then we'll see how you do. <laughs> okay. So our first Somerset person is Percy Pilcher. Okay. So was Percy Pilcher A, an aviation pioneer most famous for developing hang gliders, or was he B, the first chief redcoat at Butlin's Minehead? I would say A. Is correct. Oh. Excellent. The only reason I thought of that, and it might have nothing to do with it, but there's a little airport at Dunkerswell. I don't know if that's got anything to do with it. Oh, that. it might have done. It might have done. Okay, person number two is Joanne Atkinson. So was Joanne Atkinson A, a Millfield alumni who represented Great Britain at the 1976 Olympics, or B, a chemist with an MBE for work on enzymes? I would say A. Is correct. <laughs> oh, I'm good at two this. Two out of two. Fantastic. Okay. All right, person number three okay. is John Mole, spelt M-O-L-E, like the animal. Mm -hmm. So was John Mole A, an architect known for seaside piers, or B, a poet and jazz musician? I would say a poet and jazz musician. Correct again. Really? Yeah. <laughs> You're on a roll here. Okay, two more. Number four is Catherine Osler. Was Catherine Osler A, a social reformer and suffragist, or B, an actress with several minor film noir roles? Or I would say A. It's correct again. Is it? <laughs> I have not cheated, I promise. All right, four out of four so far. Okay, we're on to our last one. Uh, our last person is Jake Wilmore. Was Jake Wilmore, or is Jake Wilmore, an industrialist and engineer of the Bridgewater and Taunton Canal, or B, a Bristol Bears rugby player? Oh, I would say A. It's B. It's B. Oh. Jake Wilmore plays for the Bristol Bears. Oh, I don't know much about rugby. <laughs> well, if you did, you'd have got five out of five. Oh. Uh, but four is a really good, really good effort. Lucky. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so well done. Thank you for playing that silly game. Sarah, before we go, uh, where can people find out more about you, about the work that you're doing and everything else? Yes, uh, that's, sure. That's on? So my website is sarahashfordstudio.com and I'm on Instagram at Sarah Ashford Studio and the Great British Quilter is greatbritishquilter.com and at greatbritishquilter on Instagram. Sarah, thank you so much for your time. You've been a fantastic guest. It's oh, been great thank talking you. to you. Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Somerset Stories. 
If you liked it, you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch, you can find us on social media at Somerset Stories or email hello at somersetstories.com. Music on all Somerset Stories productions is created by Jazar. You can be found at betterwithmusic.com. See you next time.